I would say that was worth the wait, wouldn't you? Yes, indeed. He is our faithful friend. I want to tell you that I consider it such a, such a blessing and honor and privilege to be here and be the guest speaker in my own home church Amen. on a special day of this, of this magnitude of this occasion. So thank you, Brother Darren. I thought about calling this message dipstick, but I thought it probably was needing a little bit broader subject matter and idea than that. So uh, it's, this is called taking stock, taking stock. And I said uh, to Brother Eric, as he was teasing me about it this morning, it's good to take stock as long as it's not livestock in your life, in this journey as we go along. And we're all in this journey called life. We're moving through it, whether we're saved or not, whether we like it or not, whatever's going on. And I would say that taking stock periodically is just as good as taking a bath and needed as taking a bath and checking the air in your tires and watching your weight and watching your blood pressure and uh, seeing your doctor on an an for an annual checkup. Uh, you know, we need to do those sort of things just routinely. It shouldn't be something that's unusual. However, I have to tell you that for most people to take stock of their own lives is pretty unusual. They don't do that very often. Some businesses do it. I'm talking here about a, a down-to-earth, honest self-evaluation. Stopping, it's a good thing, I think, to do it once a year. Probably around the first of the year is good to do it. But at whatever time it is, it's good to take some point during your year, during your life, maybe more often, and just back up. When you're not watching TV, you're not concerned about a sports team, or you're not concerned about the politics, you're just thinking about your own life, and you're going to be honest with you. And you're not going to inflate anything, make yourself better than you are. You're not going to run yourself down and make yourself worse than you are. You're just going to take an honest look at where you really are. That is a whole lot easier to say than it is to do. And I will say this, it's good for you to do it for you. It's even better if you will have a friend, like maybe your wife or husband or somebody close to you that knows you about as well as you know you, and let that person take the stock in you. Uh, in, in business, in the business world, they call it an annual review. And I know that people do not like annual reviews. In fact, they dread those things. However, probably an annual review is one of the better things that can be done in business. And I, therefore, with that thought in mind, realize that you're probably not going to like this sermon a whole lot today. It's not one of those rah-rah, get-all-excited sermons. I'm pretty excited about it. But it's a, it's a biblical sermon because several times in the Bible, and this, by the way, is our divine standard. This is what we use is how we do it. This is the way you get it right. Several times God stopped Israel... And he, he reminded them of some things. He reminded them of who they were. He also reminded these people, Israel, his people, of what he had done for them. And the third thing God did when he would stop them periodically is remind them of where they're headed and who's really in charge of their lives, their show. So... I feel like uh, this is a good godly example. If God did it, I think it's probably good for us to do it too. Amen. After all, I say this with a little punny act. It's, uh, I'd say God's example is a godly example, wouldn't you? Yes. So we're talking about a real godly, I mean in the right sense of the word example of what we're going to do here today. A regular, a periodic, and I want to say regular, and I say that first because it ought to be something that's not just, well, I'll do that now and then. I'll just, when I think about it, but a regular and periodic self-examination or evaluation, this honest appraisal I've been talking about will help most individuals. I would probably venture to say it'll help all individuals. But it will do more than help you as an individual. It will help families. Good examination will help a business, as I've already indicated, and it will help churches. So therefore, that's what we're doing here today with the idea that what I'm going to talk about will help us, will bring us back perhaps to a better focus of where we are, some things that need to be corrected, and some things that we could do better than we're doing. 
King David said, examine me, O Lord, and prove me, try my reins and my heart, Psalm 26 and verse 2. Here's this Old Testament guy who's no small figure, I mean a great, great man of God, though he had his baggage and needed lots of improvement. He's one guy who's big enough and willing enough to step up and say, Lord, try me. I want to see me. I want you to show me who I really am. The Apostle Paul made it a personal matter when he made this statement in our text verse today, which is 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 13. This is verse 5. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not that your, uh, your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates? Check your salvation. Make sure you are born into the family of God. Check how you're serving God. Check your obedience record. See how you're obeying the master. See how much of a servant you are to the great master who gave him all, his all for you and to whom you belong. Check out your holiness record. See how you're living. See how people think about you and see how your family thinks about you and where they really believe you are Christ-like, a real Christian or not. In fact, the apostle Paul drew the net even tighter when he talked about the Lord's Supper. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, let a man examine it, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 28, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Before the Lord's Supper, especially before the Lord's Supper, when we're going in and talking before God to worship him in this special ordinance, and we're talking about our communion with him, our fellowship with him, and our lives representing him well, he said, examine yourself. Let everyone do it. And I will tell you, in the case of those Corinthians, he went on to say in the next verses that some of them didn't examine themselves. They didn't have a dipstick moment. They didn't check out themselves, see what's going on. And he said, uh, some of you have eaten the Lord's Supper unworthy. You've eaten it and betrayed the very idea of the Lord's Supper because it's an idea of you walking with the Lord. You say you're in communion with him and you're not. And some of those were physically sick. He doesn't say exactly what kind of sickness they had. I don't know if it was liver disease or they had uh, bad colds or they had some of them maybe gotten cancer or had some heart attacks or whatever they might have had. But the reality is Paul, under divine inspiration, said some of you people in this church in Corinth, because you have not examined your own self, you are physically paying with your own health. And he went on to say in the next few words, some of you have died. Some of your members have died. God is a God of love, but listen, you don't play games with God. God says, if you're going to represent me, I want you to represent me honestly. I want you to say, if you're a Christian, you'd really act like a Christian, and people will be able to look at you and see that you're a Christian. I've known personal several people who I felt like got in trouble because they would not examine themselves. Somewhere in their younger years, when they weren't wanting to get an education, they weren't wanting to learn how to work and do something right, they didn't get it, and they paid down there when they were older, some of them are on the streets today. A lot of people are paying for past sins in their lives, their own neglects, especially neglects and failure to do the right thing and to listen to God. It's good to take stock of where we are and who we are. It's good. I want you to see that in this first main point in this message here. I'm going to just going to talk about taking stock of who and where you are. Let me go back for a moment and talk about these times when God sometimes stopped his people, Israel, chosen people, and just had them take stop. Uh, he did it at least four times in a major way. The entire fifth book of your Bible, which is Deuteronomy, is a whole book dedicated to taking stock. Israel had come out of Egyptian bondage. You know how they'd gotten down there and and God had sprung them with Moses, and they came up to the border of the nation of Israel, at least the border of the land of Israel, up on the opposite side, the east side of the Jordan River. And you'd think they'd just go right on in. You know, they're right there on the brink, just walk on in, just go across. 
But they didn't go across. They stopped. They camped at this place uh, called Gilgal. They uh, were over there on that side of the river when the promised land is just over on the other side of the river. And God deliberately stopped them and said, I want to have you look at you. So the whole book of Deuteronomy is going back. I told you this. I did this for you. And these are all these things that you need to remember. And so we have a book of remembrance called Deuteronomy, which is given to this very business of taking stock. And then there is Psalm 78. It's one of those long Psalms, long chapter in the Bible. And it's reminding Israel of who they are and who they were. And how they got to where they were and how good God has been to them. Especially the 78th Psalm is a great reminder from God to his people of how good he's been to his people. It's good for us to see that. You know, we all need to realize God's a lot better to us than most of us realize. You're here today by the goodness of God. You could have had a heart attack or a car wreck on the way to church. You know, here's Barbara. Terry's mother driving along in the country in Bandera, Texas, where you wouldn't think there's a whole bunch of Houston traffic to bother her. And all of a sudden things developed and has a car wreck and she's ejected right out of her seat and she's dead on arrival. I mean, it's just like that. It could have happened to you at Tacona Ella in 610. Or a stroke. And there are enough people carrying guns in Houston, Texas to shoot your head off without provocation just for passing them on the freeway or saying something to them on the freeway. It is the goodness of God. It's the mercies of God that all of us are here and we're not consumed. And we haven't met with some bad thing that would take us out of here or at least take our health away from us. The 105th Psalm and also the 107th Psalm, they are two Psalms that do this same thing to a lesser degree where God just saying, wait a minute here, don't get in too big a hurry. I want you to keep remembering who I am and how you got to where you are and what I've done for you. When Nehemiah went back to uh, the land of Israel after a long uh, exile, and he took some people with him to try and rebuild the place back there, um, God did it again in the ninth chapter of Nehemiah. Here's a whole chapter, a whole chapter. Everything's just going right along. Everything just comes sort of to a stop, and God says, I'm going to remind you of where you came from, tell you what I've done for you and how good I've been to you. And actually... God took stock of his own self two times in the Bible. God looked at God in the 104th Psalm, and then in chapters 38, 39, 40, and 41 of the book of Job, God just stops right there, and he's not talking so much about Job. God just says, uh, where were you when I made the world? <laughs> How about all these water systems in the oceans, the currents in the oceans? How about all of these uh, meteorological systems by which the water rises up and turns into rain, goes inland from the ocean, and these clouds go in and dump rain up there, these rivers and creeks, comes down to waters, and it just keeps this cycle going. I did that. God said, I did that. You know that? And I'm the one that made the peacock with all the plumage. I'm the one that made the war horse. It just says, ha ha, to the guns and to the swords. I'm the God of heaven who established this whole world. And I even made the dinosaurs, the aquatic dinosaur, Leviathan, and the land dinosaur, Beatham, that you can't touch, Job. You can do a lot of things and all the men around you, but you can't touch my dinosaurs. I'm still in charge of the show here. So God's just talking to Job. And he's talking to you and to me and reminding us that we have what we have and we are what we are, but by the grace and the goodness of God. Right. If it wasn't for him, you wouldn't have that job. Right. You wouldn't have that mentality to keep the job that perhaps you have. You wouldn't have that house you have. God wasn't going to let them forget who they were, their own history. And that is a big thing, you know, in our nation these days, erase our history and replace it with a new different kind of history that perhaps even is prejudiced in one way or another. I mean, we got to watch this stuff. we got to watch it. God says, I want you to remember where you came from and how you got here. I want you to know your history. At the stoning of Stephen in the New Testament book of Acts chapter 7, it happened again. God forced them to take stock. Here's Israel, the leadership of the nation at the time, 
They're about to kill a man for doing right. That sounds pretty familiar, modern things today. They're about to kill this man, Stephen, this innocent young man. And as they are about to stone him, God just uses him, the guy that's going to be dead as a result of rocks breaking his skull in just a few minutes from now. God uses him in front of the whole group of them to remind them of where they came from. God's their God. He brought them out. He made them the nation they are. He gave them the laws they are. They had. He gave them all the things to help them that they had. He gave them the means of salvation, and he presented the plan of salvation ahead of time and showed how that in the Old Testament works would never work, getting them ready for the Messiah who would come and die on the cross as the only hope of salvation. The only way anybody then and now can ever go to heaven is through this Jesus Messiah. And here's this man, Stephen, stands there in front of this whole group of these leaders of Israel and says, I want to tell you what God's done and how his salvation is available to you today. Hallelujah for the reminders. God is somebody who believes in taking stock. Where you been? They were God's people. They were God's chosen people. I mean chosen of God. His elect carved out of paganism. I'm talking about separated to carry out the purposes of God. Imagine that. Here's God makes the whole world and all the people that he plants in this world. And then they grow up and most of them become very heathenistic in all their thinking. And God chooses one nation, this nation of Israel, he raised up through Abraham. And he raised up this nation out of them. And he says, I've got you here for a purpose. I didn't just do it because I like you better than them. I have a job for you to do. Your job is to represent me. Your job is to tell the rest of the world about me. Your job is to stand up for me. Your job is to be my mouthpiece. Your job is to write down my scriptures here. I'm telling you, I've separated you to carry out my purpose. Romans 3 says this. What advantage hath the Jew? The answer is given in verse 2 of the the same uh, chapter 3. Unto them were committed the oracles of God. Do you know what God did for Israel that he never did for any other nation, United States, France, England? No, he gave the word of God through that people. I'm holding a copy of it in my hand. God gave this book, this revelation about in Genesis, how it got started, how origins, how he, he made this place and Set up all the systems that are in this place. And then he went through all this business about people and about the great flood. And he goes through all those times of kings and judges and stuff like that. And then the prophets. And then he comes down to the New Testament of this book. And he talks about Jesus coming. Virgin born of all things. Coming here and living among humans be a human having flesh, but God at the same time, something the hypostatic union, we don't really understand very well, but this is what he talks about in here. Then he talks about how that sinners like you in this room and me and all the rest of the people from Adam till this minute have lived, how that sinners, sinners could have forgiveness of sins and receive eternal life. And he gave this record to the Jews. You talk about a chosen people. You talk about special blessing. He also gave them a piece of land. Some of us are going there in about three months, the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea, and we're going to get off on that land that Barbara Streisand sang about. This land is mine. God gave it. God didn't give it to her. He gave it to Moses and to the people of Israel. And they'll tell you, as my friend Edo on top of Masada said one time, He said, I will die and every one of us will die and shed every drop of blood we had to protect this land. They believe in it. God gave the land, that promised land, to Israel. And he gave them the word of God that we have, which is not just for Jews, it's for Gentiles too. Praise God. And then God gave him his Messiah, his Savior through that people. What a blessing. What an honor. Amen. His own son. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, thou thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come he whose goings forth have, uh, have been from evermore 
to be ruler of Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, even from everlasting. Micah chapter 5, that is verse 2. Yes, I have a Messiah to come. Adam messed up. And all the Adam's kids have messed up. And they're all sinners and they're all condemned. And there's a death penalty, eternal death penalty. But I have a plan to take sinners like Adam and Adam's son, Lester Hudson. And I'm going to send my Messiah onto this planet to live among people, to take the sins of Hudson and Moses and Adam and all the rest of the people on his own self and pay with his own blood on the cross. I'm sending my son through the Jews. So God's reminding these people, you've been given the land of God, you've been given the word of God, you've been given the son of God, the Messiah of God, yes, all those people, of all the people who lived on the planet, no group of persons has ever been blessed more than the Jews. They have truly been blessed of God. God said they were a perverse and crooked nation. Did you hear that? In spite of all these blessings, in spite of all these blessings, he said, you are a perverse and crooked generation or nation, Deuteronomy 32 and verse 5. Yet, in spite of their perverseness, in spite of their mistakes, in spite of their failures, in spite of all that stuff, God in his mercy forgave their sins, made them his own. There's a beautiful song, grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sins. Praise God for the grace of God that hath appeared unto all men, to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. They personally had tested. These people that we're talking about, these Jews here, had personally tasted of the grace of God. Northwest Baptist Church, are you listening to me? I hope you're getting the point here because I want to make sure this day... You who sit in this room as members of this congregation, you are God's people in a very special way. He has some more out there, yes. I want to tell you as a church of the living God, Northwest Baptist Church and its membership constitutes the church of the living God. You are the people of God. Just look around this room. We have, thank God, some guests here, visitors here today. But I want all of you who are members of this church to think for a moment about where you came from. Who you were before you met the Savior. Who you were before he, by his love and grace, died in your place and gave you eternal life when you trusted him as your personal Savior. i tell you about me, and I'm in a group with all of us who are in this church, because I'm a member here too. We are every one of us a bunch of lost, hell-bound sinners and didn't deserve the grace of God, didn't deserve the help and goodness of God. Not one of us deserves who we are in our being here today. Just like Israel before God got hold of Abraham, there were a bunch of liars and cheaters, and they were always docking for who would be the boss and who could rule somebody else. And they'd go to war over nearly nothing and fight their own brothers and sisters and claw each other nearly to death like families do today. Here were people who would gossip and here were people who would cheat on their mates and here were people who'd do all that sort of stuff. And in this book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul talks about that church in Corinth, very similar to the church in Houston here, Northwest Baptist Church. And he names their sins where they were before they got saved by the grace of God. And he said to them, and he said to us, and such were some of you. Nobody in here has any reason or any grounds to get on a good platform and say, look at me. I'm an exception to the rule. I didn't do those bad things. I never was unworthy. I've always been worthy of the goodness of God. Nobody can say that. Nobody. But you who are in this room, many of you who trusted Christ, you've trusted him. Believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And every one of you, I'm sure like me, realize that you're just a sinner saved by grace. You don't deserve to be here. You don't deserve to be saved, let alone a member of this church and be able to represent God as we do. You realize, though, at some point back there, you couldn't save yourself. You couldn't solve your own sin problem. And your only way was a Savior. So in your heart, you came to him, 
trusting him. That's a hard thing to do. Most of us do not like to give up. I can do this. Just give me a little more time. Just give me a few more resources. I'll take care of this matter myself. The way the devil gets a lot of people to hell is to tell them that very thing. You can do it, buddy. You can get it all. You can just be better. You can quit your drinking. You can quit your prostitution. You can quit all of your lying. And you can quit all of your hatred. And you can quit your cheating. And you, 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 can, you can be better. And if you're better and you do it long enough, it'll be all right with God. And now people will tell you and you'll say to yourself, well, God understands where I am. Yes, sir. God understands exactly where you are. And God understands that you can't do it yourself. But it's somehow in our nature to say, yes, I can. So I'm going to go to church better. And I'm going to join up and I'm going to get baptized I'm going to get to be a member of the church, and I'm going to be active in the church, and I'm going to do all. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. There was a young man came to Jesus Christ years ago when Jesus was here in flesh, and he said, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Have you ever heard a loaded question? What makes you think there's some good thing you can do? You know what he's doing? He's expressing himself and he's expressing all of our thinking. What good thing shall I do? I can be better. I can be good enough. But I will tell you, you can't be good enough. I can't be good enough. Nobody could ever be good enough. The best Jewish rabbi could never be good enough. And the Pope can't be good enough. Everybody that's a member of this human race has to be saved by the grace of God. And it's only by the grace of God and the work that Christ did for sinners that lost people can be saved. Nobody's going to heaven because they strut their stuff. They turn over a new leaf. You were washed. Paul said to those Corinthians, and you have to say this about every believer, but you were washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11. Isn't that a glorious thought? We are sanctified not by our own goodness, but by the goodness and the grace and the work of Jesus Christ. That's what he says here. Listen to this. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 and verse 13. Think about it. He's talking to you. If you're a saved person, your closeness to God, your connection to him is by the goodness of God, not by you. You didn't get here because you deserve to be here. Just like the Jews didn't get to be the people of God because they deserve to be the people of God. No, sir. Northwest, you are a blessed and a chosen people. I'm in this group, and I say we're blessed in spite of us, not because of us. So that brings me to this next point that I want you to hear, and hear it very well. It's good to take stock of how we got here. Talk a little bit about it, but I want to talk about it more here. Israel didn't have a very good track record. So we're going to be a little specific here, just a little specific. To save his skin, the first Jew, Abraham, told the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, about his wife, Sarah, Abraham's wife. She's my sister. That's not so healthy, you know. That's really not real Christian. That's really not a good thing to lie, period, and to throw your wife under the bus to save your skin. That's what Abraham did. I'm talking about one of the best of the best. Abraham's sons, pretty close to him. You know, they say the acorn falls pretty close to the oak. Abraham had some boys. One of them was named Isaac, and one of them Jacob, and another one Esau, and then he had some later grandsons and sons. Wow, things, they were just a whole lot like Jacob, or like uh, Abraham. I mean, Esau, or uh, Isaac lied about his wife too. I mean, like father, like son here, you know. Here comes along Jacob, and most people, if you know he's Texan, you know his name was Squirrely. <laughs> I mean, he'd just do anything he th he could to just save his skin. He'd just, he'd just lie about it. He'd just cheat about it. He was just that way. He was just a really a rascal guy. I mean, just a really terrible rascal guy. Things got worse. Judah, he's one of the grandsons coming up here. Yeah. Judah was a sexaholic. You know that? You ought to read about him. 
He also is the guy who led the other brothers to sell Joseph, his own brother, into slavery. That's pretty cool, cruel, pretty just cold as a snake. But this is the kind of guy he was. I'm talking about God's chosen people. I'm talking about the Jews, these good guys. They send themselves, the Israelis send themselves into slavery. They didn't go down there into Egypt and get into that terrible mess they were in because uh, they were all just lily white. They send themselves to get into that place and got down there. God, has, he freed them by astounding miracles, not because they deserved to be freed, but by his own grace, by his own love, by his own goodness, God said, I'm going to do this for you anyway. They barely got out of the, through the Red Sea, out of Egypt and through the Red Sea until they did it even more and got worse. They rejected the rule of God before long in favor of a mortal king. They couldn't stand judges, so they said, give us a king like all of our neighbors. God said, that's a wrong thing, but I'm going to give you a king. I'm going to let you taste the king and feel how a king will take your boys and make soldiers out of them, and he will take taxes and take your land, and he'll do, he'll make you, make you regret the day you ever had a king. But they did it. Under the kings... They became idolatrous. I mean, they worshiped Baal and they worshiped Astaroth and they worshiped all these different gods of the people around them, Dagon down here. I mean, especially Dagon. I mean, they just were mixed up with idolatry and they were vile and they were so reprehensibly evil that God removed them from their land and he placed them in a foreign land, the land of their enemies, the Babylonians. And he put them under the wickedness of tyrants until, listen to how God describes it in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. This is verse 16. It's the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament as the Jews see it. We've rearranged it in English here and for Gentiles, and so we have some. Uh, but their Bible ends, the Jewish Bible ends right here. And I want you to listen to what God said about this chosen people. They mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord, that Lord is all capitalized if you're looking in your Bible, and it means Jehovah, Yahweh, I mean the top, I mean the greatest name for him, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people and there was no remedy. What a warning. God is patient and God is merciful, but let me tell you, there's a limit to how far God will let things go and how wicked people can get and still stay in the favor of God. Just look at God's chosen people today. On March the 2nd of 2023, Knesset members, Knesset is, the, is the, like the uh, government center of Israel, the nation. Knesset members introduced bills to make it illegal to mention the name of Jesus Christ in Israel. They didn't succeed totally, but they, that's the attitude. I'm talking about after all that God's done for Israel, after all of these years, all this help, all this mercy, all this goodness that God has given to these people, still today, they're still wanting to get rid of the name of Jesus. We don't want that in our society. Wow. Yet in spite of her baggage, in spite of Israel's dirty laundry, and she sure has a lot of it, God has preserved his people. Every time, this amazes me, every time through the centuries, go back to Abraham and his failures and just walk down through the history of Israel till today. And all through these centuries, every time they humbled themselves and turned back to him, his promise was this, and I'm quoting, I will cleanse them from all their iniquity, whereby they have sinned against me. I will pardon all their iniquities, whereby they have sinned, and whereby they have transgressed against me. That's Jeremiah chapter 33, and it's verse 8. Over and over and over again, God has stayed with his chosen people because he made a unilateral, unconditional promise to them that they would be his chosen people forever. And he has plans for them still in the future, a millennial kingdom one of these days. But what I'm saying to you is that in spite of the opportunities he's had 
to just throw them away and say, I'll start over with another people. I'll take another man and I'll raise up another nation. He hadn't done it. They spit in his face. They've done the worst stuff to deny him, worshiped every God in the vilest of ways. And yet God has been merciful and gracious Amen. and forgiven and good to his people in spite of themselves. Northwest, I have to get a little personal and picky here. I am personal witness to the life of this church 59 years ago. I was alive and well, serving in another church nearby when Northwest Baptist Church was born. I saw it unfold. We too, as a church, do not have a squeaky clean record. There's some baggage. God's been gracious to us like he has. I remember quite well Berean Baptist Church over in the North Freeway. It's not hardly there now. It's just a building mostly and just a very small congregation. But still, they were there and were a powerhouse church. It started out of the First Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas in 1937 on May the 30th. That Berean Baptist Church was blessed of God and flourished. Right down here in the Heights on 1031 East 11th Street for years and years, had a pastor named H. Frank Ford who could preach just like nobody I ever heard. And just a powerhouse. God blessed that church. And it grew at one point at about 1,000 people in Sunday school every Sunday. And that was in the days before the mega churches. And then the heights began to crumble in demographics. And the church moved out here on North Freeway at, at uh, uh, Connor West Road. And set up shop out there and went through quite a trial of time and really, really went down. And I remember that, uh, when Brother Fort died, he was preaching on a Sunday night in the pulpit over there on 11th Street. And he had, a, he had a problem in his brain and he went down to the pulpit and he never was able to regain it. So he died shortly after in 1963. And the church called another man and there were some problems, and big problems. One, this man espoused Calvinism, and that church certainly didn't, and this church doesn't espouse that. And so there was a big, big issue over that, big war. But rarely does a church go down over one issue. Uh, there are personality issues, and uh, Madison had new techniques to a country people in a church, and just a whole lot of things went haywire. And, and I will tell you, there's nobody better qualified and able to fight each other than Baptists when they get mad at each other. They can fight their own brothers and sisters and bloody up people real bad and say a lot of hurtful things and do a lot of bad things. And so a lot of that sort of thing went on back then. And I remember on the sideline watching it unfold at Berean Baptist Church and watching a group of people, about 200 of those people, come over here and establish the Northwest Baptist Church. It wasn't the prettiest of starts, but they had a mother church. And, and it just went, I won't try to get into all the detail except to tell you, God planted this church over here. It was planted with good people, good solid people who loved God, who were allegiant to the Word of God, and who wanted to establish a church. And this is just a little place with a couple, what, two or three houses sitting out here on this, uh, this, this uh, house where people had been living. But that church was able to buy this piece of property and establish this location, not knowing that after a period of time, Berean Baptist Church would go down and almost cease to exist. I mean, it just happened. It broke my heart. And it still breaks my heart to know about some of the things that went on in our heritage. In our heritage. I'm saying mine. I'm here too, you know. But I have to tell you, that we don't deserve to be here. We're sinners saved by grace, folks. Every one of us, this church is. It's the Lord's. Praise God. He's put his hand on it. And he's sustained it. And he's growing this church. And I rejoice in what I'm seeing the Lord do here at the Northwest Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. But I'm not here to brag altogether on us today or beat us up 
What I am here to do today is brag on the one who saved us by his grace and put us and planted us in this place. When you look at the people of Israel, they have nobody to brag on except God. He's the one who did for them what they've had done in spite of themselves. You can just look at the record I've talked a little about already. You look over at Northwest Baptist Church, we can't brag on ourselves. We have to brag on the God who is ours and who has sustained us and who planted us in this place as a testimony to speak his word and to represent him in a viable, tangible, good, strong way right here in this part of our city and through missionaries around this world. I want to tell you, I'm just grateful to God to be a part of what's happening here. And I'm grateful I've lived long enough to see it start and see it get here to the place where we are. And I want to just say one more main thing here. Talk about it a moment before I end. It's good to take, take stock of where we're headed. I've talked about way back there how we got started. I've talked about how we got here, where we are. And I've talked about, and I'm about to talk now about where we're going. Because that's more important. I'm grateful for God who's brought us here and planted us on this location. And given us new people, new blood in this church. And I thank God for that, bringing Darren and, and Melissa Simpson here to this church and their boys. And hallelujah. But I don't, I, I'm to you church. I believe the best is yet to come for Northwest Baptist Church. I'm not resting and don't want to ever rest on our laurels back here of what we've been, who we've been, and all that stuff. I want to look to the God who has all the power to plant us here and sustain us here in spite of ourselves and let him take us in charge of us and rule our lives and use us to his glory here in this location. Both Israel and Northwest Baptist Church, I think we all know what we ought to do. I, I think we do. I mean, I don't have to give us another theological course here in, in uh, basic uh, evangelism and, and discipleship. I think we know it, but I need to rehearse it just a bit. Because both Israel and Northwest Baptist Church know why we're here. There's no question about that. Israel's job was to represent God and glorify Him every day. God expressed his plans for Israel out loud. I mean, listen to it. I'm going to read it to you right out of Isaiah chapter 49, and this is verse 6. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation to the end of the earth. God said, Jews, it's not an accident that I chose Abraham and brought you to where you are through all these rigmaroles and these tough, tough times. I brought you here for a purpose. I didn't just do this for no reason. I brought you here so that you would not glorify yourself, so that you would glorify me. And I want you, Israel, to glorify me. And the way I want you to do it is, I want you to be my mouthpiece to the Gentiles. There's no racial issues here. I want everybody who's, who's a human to have access to the great work of Jesus Christ who died, was buried, and raised again. And you're my spokesman. I gave you the land. I gave you the word. I gave you the Messiah. And my assignment to you, Israel, is to tell the world about Jesus Christ. Let them know. That's how you're going to glorify me. Northwest, here's what God says to us, including every member in particular. And I want you to think for a moment as I read what I'm about to read. That God's not just talking to us. He's talking to you. Everybody who's a member of this church and some who I hope will one day be. Here's what he said. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that's the 20th verse. Isn't that a glorious passage? What does God want from me? He wants me to glorify him in my body and in my spirit. They belong to him. He paid with his own blood for me. Amen. Northwest, may we never lose our vision. May we never, ever forget why we're here. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
for we are his workmanship. Listen to why we're saved by grace. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus and two good works, which he has before ordained that you should walk in them. I don't have to be a Rhodes Scholar to figure out what God wants from me and from every one of us. He wants us to glorify him and be an example of him in everything that we do, in everything that we say. My, it's a privilege to be a child of God. It's not a right, you know. It's a privilege to be a child of God. And we, don't, we didn't go seeking him. He came seeking us. He's the one who sent his son to the world to die in our place, even before we got here. So he came to us. Oh, there's a song that touches my soul to the core. He came to me. When I could not come to where Jesus was, he came to me. You know, if Jesus hadn't come into this world, I'd be damned and on my way to hell and everybody else would too. We didn't come to him. He came here. He left heaven's glory and came here and took that body I've been talking about and lived among us and took our sin in his own body and he paid with his own blood on that cross willfully, voluntarily, my sin penalty in yours. Thank God he came to me. Amen. If he hadn't, there would be no hope for me. There would be no hope for you or anybody. You say, well, just how do we glorify God, Brother Hudson? Ephesians 3.21 says, To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. <laughs> I've heard people say, well, I can be just as good a Christian as I can, uh, not going to church as I can be in, involved in being a part of it and involved in the church. No, you can be a Christian. I mean, you can be a saved person by the grace of God. But nobody can be Christ-like who neglects the very church that he died and gave himself for. Amen. It's his plan. I know there are hypocrites in churches. I've already talked about how good we are at fighting each other, <laughs> let alone somebody else. <laughs> I know about all that stuff, but I still know that Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, and Ephesians says so in verse 21 right there. Amen. He loves this church. I'm grateful to know that Jesus loves Northwest Baptist Church. In spite of our wrinkles and warts and all these things that hold us back and our, all the things that are wrong, he still loves us. We still belong to him. We're still his chosen people today to represent him and glorify him in our lives. And I think no place lays out the plan of God for this church and every church and every one of us as an individual any better than Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. It's generally called the Great Commission. It was given by Jesus Christ after he died and was buried and rose again, just before he ascended back into heaven. He's meeting with the chief officers or the chief men who he's called, he's called them apostles, and he's talking to those guys. And he tells them the marching orders, not just for them, but he tells them the marching orders for Northwest Baptist Church and for every church until he gets back. And here's what he says the marching orders are. You go in all the world and make disciples. You get people saved. Let me tell you, nothing, nothing honors God. Nothing blesses the heart of God and glorifies him more than getting people born into the family of God. That causes rejoicing. That causes not just rejoicing in a me. I do rejoice. I love it when people get saved here. I love it when I can win somebody at the Lord the basic Bible truths lesson. By the way, we'd be glad to teach you those lessons. Any one of you, anytime, just sit down one-on-one -on -one and let you pound us and ask and show you from the Word of God what it takes to be born in the family of God. I love it when that happens. But I see that when people get saved, people in this church get they get, it, they get uh, energized. I mean, it's, I never see it fail in this church when somebody gets saved. People don't just rejoice. But the best rejoicing is that when a sinner comes to the Savior, there's rejoicing in heaven in the presence of the angels of God over one soul that repenteth. <clears throat> we say, well, what could we do to honor God? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. Just read Matthew 28. The first thing that you can do that will honor God is bring people to Christ as their own personal Savior so they have hope beyond the grave, life eternal. 
That's how, it, that's how you do it. You say, well, I don't know what to say. It's time you get educated. You need to start learning. And if you're saved, I'll tell you what you do. You just tell them how you got saved. And if you can't tell people how you got saved, you may already doubt whether you're saved. Because after all, if you got saved, you must know how it happened. So I'm talking about this simple plan that is the heart of the Bible. This death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the God of heaven who came here and took our sin. Learn how to enunciate it. Learn how to start point one and point two and lead a person through what it means to be lost, to be a sinner, and the consequences of sin. And how hopeless a person is to save his own and solve his own sin problem. And then how to, there's no way for her or him outside of it rescue by an external person and the only external person there is is Jesus Christ and learn how to tell them what faith is trusting him giving up on yourself all you are in your heart coming to the end of you and saying I give I can't be good enough I can't be baptized and washed away enough I can't do it I have to have a savior that's the way people go to heaven Amen. it's not this soft soap you get so often in churches well come down here and join up and sign one of our cards and we'll baptize you and bunch of people have been roasting in hell for a long time who believe that lie. Yeah. It's good to join a church. It's good to follow the Lord in baptism. But listen, you've got to get saved first. Yeah. And yeah. trusting him in his heart, in your heart is how it happens. And that doesn't happen as long as you're holding on and saying, I'll help you, God. You've got to say it's up to him. He died for me and that's enough. I'm trusting Christ as my Savior. Not just the Savior of the world, but me. It's me and him. I just, yeah. And I'm trusting him. That gets people, getting people saved glorifies God. But the second thing that Jesus told those apostles would get people, uh, would glorify God, was to get those saved people to identify it as such. Whether you're identified as a saved person or not, you're saved. I take this Bible right here, and it is fairly well identified. Because right on the very front it says, Holy Bible. Right back here it says Holy Bible. So it says it. But you know what? I could put this cover around the Sears catalog. I don't know if there is a Sears catalog around the catalog anymore. <laughs> and it wouldn't be a Bible, would it? It'd just be a catalog. The cover is not what makes the difference. The reality is you can be saved and never have a cover. Never be baptized because it's like the cover. But God wants the cover on his salvation. He wants you to be a public disciple. He wants you to be out of the closet. Come out here and say, yeah, I'm, I'm identifying with Jesus Christ who died, was buried, and raised for me. And it's not hard to see, you know. You come in your heart. You give up. You die with him. He's your savior. He's lived for you. He's given you eternal life. And you come down to the water. You're standing there, and you go down in the water, and you're going down. It looks like you're being buried. Anybody can see that has been to a funeral. Like you're being buried. What do we do? Who do we bury? We bury dead people. The very burial looks like a death has presupposed. It's death, burial, and then you come up out of the water. It looks like what Jesus did. He rose from the dead. Death. Amen. Burial and resurrection. You, it's a pantomime. You can hardly miss it when you see somebody baptized. A person who's being baptized is saying, my hope is not in me and my goodness. My hope is in the one who died, was buried, and raised for me. It's my testimony. It's my personal testimony. And it's a good thing to put the testimony on. That's the reason Jesus Christ told that first church in Jerusalem, Israel, these men were the first members of it. You get people saved. You get people baptized as a testimony of their salvation. They go public. They become public disciples. And that glorifies me. How do I glorify God? You get people saved. You ought to be a soul winner. Get into their lives. How are we going to guarantee the future of this church here? We're going to have to get people saved because churches that don't have kids die off. Get people saved first. Baptized. They both glorify God. And then the third thing that Jesus said does it, you teach them to grow up and be holy. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded. Well, what did he command? What did he teach? 
Jesus taught you ought to be moral. You ought to be faithful to your wife or you're faithful to your husband. You ought not to cheat morally and sexually. He taught people to tell the truth. Even when somebody's not looking, nobody knows. Jesus Christ taught people to be honest. Yeah, don't throw your friend or your somebody, even your enemy, under a bus. He said, love your enemies. And <laughs> he, he taught people who were Christians to act like Jesus. I mean, who forgave, who gave and forgave, who was always good and holy and doing right. Not be rendering evil for evil, but good for evil. Taking people who were downers and outers like a prostitute and bringing her to him own self as Savior, forgiving her sins. And taking a guy who couldn't see and causing him to see. Giving, Jesus was that kind of person. And you know what he says to us? If you want to glorify me, you be a Christian. Be Christ-like. I mean, you have the character of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation. He didn't have to be the big cheese in the room. He didn't have to be the one-man show. He gave himself humility. What a trait of a Christian. No pride, but just humility. Say, I'd like to be a, I'd like to glorify God, brother Hudson. Yeah. Well, I'm telling you how to do it. These are the general rules. Get people saved. Get people baptized and get people taught to be holy, live holy lives. And that glorifies God. It really does. It's the kind of thing that'll stick with the neighbors and they'll see it. It's the kind of thing that'll stick with the people where you work and they'll realize something's different about this person. It's the kind of, it's the kind of testimony that you establish when sometimes things go wrong and somebody really has his tail in a crack. They need somebody to help them. They'll look to you because they say, here's somebody has got something I don't have. Setting that stage. I know it's a general thing here. And I know we get specific about how we implement that better with the basic Bible truths, these home Bible studies, and how we have uh, fall festivals around here and vacation Bible schools around here and other ways that we're looking for. But I will tell you, the, the root, the way the Lord did it, and the way those apostles did it was Preach the truth. Tell the truth. Preach the Word of God. Preach Christ as the hope of sinners. And preach identifying with Him as the right way to go. And be a part of one of His churches because that's His institution that He says, I'll bless and I want my glory to come in it. And then I want you to grow up. And I want you to live right. I want your life to be a testimony of me. Northwest Baptist Church, I've talked about where we started. Who God is. How He brought us out. Made us his chosen people. I've talked about what he, he's done for us and where we've been and how he's sustained us along the trail. And I'm talking to you about where we're going. And my challenge to you, let's go there. Let's don't stay over here in the other side of the river. Let's go into the promised land. Let's get in there and do what God would have us do. Let's glorify him with our lives. It can't be just, well, let's all vote on it and see if the church wants to do it. No, the church has no vote on some things, and that's one of them. That's our job. We can't vote on that. It's a matter of our doing it in our heart. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You're going to do it. I know that I'm an old man. I know that I'm out of here before long. But I'm going to tell you, I'm saying to you, the church, I hope you will go on and on and on, and this church will prosper to the glory of God and glorify him in these things. That he said is what, this is the way we do it. You know what I bet? Somebody in this church, in this room today, in this building, probably needs to be a member of this church. It's a good place to be. I'm a member here. I think we came here in 2012, right thereabouts. And I'm glad to be here now. Soon be 10 years, would you believe that? And I intend to live and die here. This is where I want to invest myself. I want to write these books and I want to, I want to win some people to the Lord and I want to stand behind this preacher of ours and I want to help you in this church to grow up in the Lord. Do what I can do. But I'm just one. Everybody, everybody in this church ought to say, preacher, I'm on board. I want to get right on board with you. I want to do it too. I want to be an active working member in this church. 
And I say to everybody who's not a member of this church, you've got to be saved But first. If you're here and you don't know Christ, you say, I'd really like to know. Why don't you present yourself here to Brother Darren at the end of the invitation? If you don't want to come down here, meet him or me or one of us here around. He'll be at the back door, I think, or somewhere around here. We're going to have a lunch out here. Just come up and quietly say, I don't know how to be saved. I don't want to die and go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I want somebody to tell me. I don't want a bunch of fanfare. I don't want a bunch of just stuff. I want to know how you get right with God in your heart. And we'll help you. It may take a while to get through some, some explanation, but we'll do it. You say, look, uh, I'd like to be over here in this church. How do I become a member? Well, if you're saved and you have a scriptural baptism, you can come in here by letter. You might come in here by statement if you have a scriptural baptism. I'm just what, but I'm telling you, we don't have a guarantee of a long time to wait. This is the time to invest yourself in the work of God. We've got a good reason to do it. It's an anniversary day, 59 years, praise God. But the, the future's ahead, not back there. That's right. We need to be looking forward and not just back. So I'm going to ask you to stand right now. We're going to sing an invitation, and our pastor will take charge. Father.